Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I am Joe Galena. And as always, I'm joined by my buddy, Scott Chu. Scott, what's going on, my friend? Not much, man. You know, I just, uh, just did Bubba's podcast, uh, which was uh, a lot of fun. And I'm sort of like slowly, you know, I had to take a little bit of time off from the baseball stuff after I cranked out that million page uh, top 200 hitters. And so I'm like, I'm just gearing back up. So it's, uh, it's kind of fun. Like just even just looking at it, like, a you know, a week at, since I've posted it, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh yeah, I did. I did. I did say that. Or like, why did I do that? Why did I rank this guy? Th- th- I, why, why did I do that? It's, it's amazing how much my opinion about rankings can change in a week when fundamentally nothing has happened. There's been no play. No, like, well, there's been I wouldn't news. say nothing has happened, uh, you know, but I understand because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise we could just end the podcast now. Uh, if you think nothing has happened. Yeah, nothing's happened. Everything's <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. You're referring to the uh, your, your top 200 uh, hitters ranked, right? That's the hitter list that you put together. There's the offseason version, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's. It's very long. Um, mm-hmm. If you print it out, it's close to 50 pages of, of text because I foolishly decided, uh, a.k.a. was told by Nick, to try to comment on every player. And wow. I thought that was going to go fast. And I was so wrong. I was so wrong. It's, well, you've got a lot to say. Forever. Mm-hmm. You know, I always do. And, and that's like, that was the death of me here. Um, it, it was... It was obviously a very important and interesting experiment, but it's also like, it's so many words, 22,477 words. Mm. Uh, But, you know, they're hopefully they're interesting enough for us to talk about for a little while, at Mm. least. Well, you were so immersed in putting this article together that you probably missed out on a couple of things that happened in in the baseball world. So uh, I don't know. Have you heard of this guy, Otani? His first name, yeah, first name I mean, Shohei. The one guy who's ranked. <laughs> yeah, he was the one guy with news that like didn't change what I did. Mm. Like his rank, he's the one that his ranking didn't change. While I'm writing the thing, other news comes out. I got to move stuff around. But Otani's, I was like, yep, still good, mm. still really good. Mm. So yeah, uh, you know, unless you've been, what's the phrase, sleeping on the rock? You know, Otani is is a Dodger, seven hundred million dollar deal. Um, for 10 years, and I think he gets paid, what, $2 million a year? He's deferring $68 million of the $70 million per year that he's uh, g- going to make. So I guess Otani thinks he's going to live forever. Yeah, it was, it was uh, horribly tedious to see baseball Twitter talking about the time value of money. <laughs> like, it's, it's, uh, it's an important concept uh, in economics, and it's extremely boring, mm. right? Like, what matters is he clearly did not want another angel situation where mm-hmm. yeah. money would get in the way yeah. of Otani being a world champion. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also has that opt out, that very interesting opt out where if uh, Mark Walter is no longer the controlling owner of the Dodgers or Andrew Friedman is not the president of baseball operations, he could opt out of this contract. 
So that's that's a yeah, talk, talk about free job security for those guys, right? Like, like if <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. if you're the you know the president, it's like, well, you could fire me, but right, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna you tell Shohei, you better get off my back, otherwise, I'm gonna yeah. tell Shohei on you, <laughs> right? In fact. Yeah, quit picking on <laughs> yeah. me. No, but but you know, again, very smart for him, just because it, it's so clear that what he wants to do is win, right? Right. It's so clear that he wants to be on a team that wants to win Mm -hmm. and not just like win as many games as we can with what we have, but like a team that wants to win all the games. Right. Like all of them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Like that's like that's what Otani wants. Like he he toiled in L.A. And like to his credit, he never demanded a trade while he was there. Mm -hmm. He never complained um, about being there. So like good on him. But now he's like, I'm going somewhere. Where, yeah, I'm getting paid, but more importantly, we're going to win because this and like the money thing, too. He prints his own money like Shohei Otani prints like he just he creates money like it, it's so we're not going to need to do a, like a GoFundMe for him. Paid. Right. I know, I know he's only making two million this year. We're not going to need to do a GoFundMe for him. It's funny. He gets paid probably less than he brings in while he's in like while he's in the Dodgers uniform. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean he wanted to be a Dodger, right? I mean he, he I have a quote from him saying they share the same passion with me, a vision and history about winning. So, you know, that that pretty much That's where, says it all. Yeah, and it's where what like the OG like pitch oh, I mean it was a pitcher but like that was uh that was when Nomo came over. Mm. Uh I believe I believe he went to the Dodgers. And so like there's there's a connection there too, like on the West Coast in an area where like there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of Japanese like there's a lot of Japanese baseball fans already there. Like it's it's a great situation for him. It's a great situation for the Dodgers, obviously. They're, they're gonna be a ton of fun to watch. Um and you know, I, I have to believe that starting next season, sorry, not twenty twenty four, but twenty twenty five, they're gonna let him pitch too. Right, like the the Dodgers already know how to manage pitching, right? Yeah, yeah, they already had Dodger rules, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like the, now they're just Shohei rules. It's fine. Why why wouldn't they let him pitch? I mean, obviously this year he's not yeah. going to pitch because of uh, Tommy John surgery, but of course, I mean, you know, we're paying you seventy. I mean, two million seventy, whatever the heck we're paying you, you, you we need you to do everything you can. Uh, so it it's it's going to be a, an interesting ride, and uh, Dodgers aren't finished yet. Right. They're uh, going after uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. And if you ask me, I mean, so many teams are in on him, but it seems like uh, it's the Yankees, the Mets and the Dodgers at this stage, because uh, uh, Yamamoto, by the way, we're recording this on December 17th. Yamamoto had dinner at uh, Mets owners uh, home in Connecticut. <laughs> so and uh, he was meeting with the Yankees today, which is the 17th. And uh, I think the Dodgers met with him, but they, you know, the Mookie Betts was there. They, they, they got a whole contingent of players that, uh, you know, go to these these meetings and, and try to, you know, drag him in. It'd work on me. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, especially like if you're, uh, you know, you're a younger person and, or, you know, you're you're a fan. Right. So you've seen these guys you're like, oh, man, like I knew conceptually it would be cool to be on the same team as Mookie Betts. Right. But like now we can really go bowling together. Like this is Mookie Betts, mm-hmm. uh, who who is also like an A plus bowler, like uh, a semi professional bowler. Mookie, yeah, Mookie Betts. Well, now yeah. that you say it, it does yeah, sound he's a really good bowler. Yeah. Um, right. But 
Yeah, and you know, I think I think the biggest thing about it is the the impact other players like the impact like the the human impact that some of these players have on other players like part of the Glasnow trade right was you know you know it was contingent on Glasnow signing an extension and one of the ways he does that like one of the ways they accomplished that is they had Otani reach out to Glasnow and just be like hey Right, you can come right. pitch with me. Like I, I want to, like I want to be part of the same team. And like, imagine sitting there, you're glass now, and like every time they go to baseball players and they say, "Hey, who's the best player in the league?" They all say Mike Trout or Shohei Otani. Every one of them. So when you see like the best player being like, "Hey, I want you to be on my team," it, I mean, like you know, it's sort of like when you get picked first in gym class, right? We're like, right. okay, mm-hmm. I'll go over here. Yeah, you know, I, I'm on this team. Hey, guys. So Otani's recruiting Glass now. He's recruiting Yamamoto. He's like the Dodgers ambassador at this stage, right? I'm telling you, the dude, like, he makes them money. He, like, it's not, it's not just like you know, if we win a World Series, we sell more tickets. Like, he lit. Like, there's so many ways Otani is just more valuable than the you know, then the value he creates on the jersey is amazing. Uh, the uh, seats in the, uh, you know, uh, season ticket holders, right? I mean, it's just, it goes on yeah, and like on. Yeah. Every, you know, his marketing deals, it, it's all just, it's, it's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, where does he sit on your top 200 list? Not high enough. Honestly, I'm looking at it and I already wish I had moved him up one more spot, but Shohei Otani is ranked 11th. Uh, He sits right behind Fernando Tatis Jr. and right in front of Bryce Harper. Hmm. So Otani, what are you you projecting for him? He is, uh, you know, literally in the article, I'm conservatively projecting about 35 home runs and 20 steals. Wow. Uh, 200 combined runs and RBI might even be higher now. Right. So I actually wrote that a little bit before he was on the Dodgers, but again, being a Dodger like that can impact his runs and RBI, but everything else is going to stay about the same. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I, so I did a mock draft for Lindy's magazine, like one of the few print publications still out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Pianowski runs a mock draft, was able to do that. Can't talk about the whole thing. Got to wait for the magazine to get published, but I'm still kicking myself for not taking Otani uh, when I had an opportunity to do that and uh, ended up with another player who then I ended up ranking below Otani. That's how much I'm kicking myself. I said, oh, I hate how I feel after that so much. I have to rank Otani over the guy I took. But um, mm. I like the player I took a lot. But yeah, Otani and just the power and the speed. We've seen him play with a shoulder injury before, like as a hitter. It doesn't mm. seem to impact him that much. Like, yes, his stats are down then compared to what they are now. But that was before he really broke out uh, playing American sideball. Right. Like he he still he had a little bit of a, like he was a very good player immediately, mm. but he didn't really become a great player until after he gets healthy from that and just has his I think it's his third season that's when he really starts to take off. So uh, I think, you know, I, it's hard to project guys for 40 home runs. Um, I think it's very much in his wheelhouse, but even if we want to be conservative, we want to, you know, say like, Oh, well he might, you know, there might be a little bit going on. He might have a couple more rest days. He might, you know, not, he he might not have all the power there right away. Uh, I still think 30, 35 home runs is, is just something you have to be ready for. I'm going to push back against that. And I love you, <laughs> but I'm looking it, 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 he had Tommy John surgery back in 2018, right? 2019 was his first year back. If I'm not mistaken. 
that that sounds yeah right. yeah so i'm looking like in, in 2019 um he played 106 games had 18 home runs 62 rbi 12 stolen bases batted 286 and if you take a look you know he missed all of april um may he had three home runs june was his most productive month with nine and then in july of that year he had three home runs august he had one home run in 26 games and in September of that year, he had two, but he only played nine games um, in, in September of that year. So I've got to say, and I know he's saying that, you know, he's going to have a normal spring training. He's going to be ready for day one. But we've seen, you know, for, from Bryce Harper just last year, you know, how long it took him to, you know, get his regular uh, power swing back. So I'm going to say 30, 35 home runs, a little bit too ambitious. You could. Yeah, I think the one thing I'd say is that uh, that 2019, you know, he actually like he was in line with what he had done the year before. Mm -hmm. Okay, right? Like I I think so. You know, I mean, he's it's you know 18 home runs in 106 games. He had in 2018 his first year. It was 22 home runs in 114 games. Like it's very it's very much in line. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do think there could be a little bit of slowness to the power, but. You know, I, I'm not I'm not worried about it yet. I mean, this guy has just absolutely crushed the ball. He and again, like I think with Otani and the shoulder, he it wasn't actually Tommy John surgery that he had. Hmm. Uh, he had it, I forget exactly what they call. It. We actually don't know very much about it, but it's it wasn't Tommy John surgery. He, so about this he had year? something this, else this done. year. Yeah. Oh, OK, I wasn't yeah. aware. It's I the just... weirdest thing. I, I thought it was Tommy John surgery the whole time, but it's actually something else. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's, I don't know. Again, I'm not a doctor. I know that it's not just like full straight up Tommy John. It's just like this. It's this elbow thing. That's not Tommy John, but it's on the same part of the elbow. (laughs) trying to accomplish many similar things, but it's not Tommy John surgery. So you sound like a politician uh, that yeah. you don't want to, you know, call Tommy John, but I'm seeing, I'm taking a look at some articles as you're, as you're speaking. And yeah, they, they didn't call it Tommy John either. They just called it underwent surgery on his right throwing elbow. Uh, a little uh, less than a month being diagnosed with a torn UCL. So yeah, they're not using the Tommy John, you know, vernacular when I'm trying to describe this. Surgery. Yeah. Yeah. They just said he had elbow surgery an elbow procedure, right? Like very, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's very vague, um, you know, and like there's, there's a couple articles out there, but they don't like, it's funny. The articles don't tell you anything about right. it. Just that he had a procedure, right. um, that he, you know, it was done with the big picture in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, he says he's going to be able to hit without any restrictions. Mm-hmm very like it's like the grayest color of gray right. that we know about what this was but either way i'm going in I'm, i mean if if this hadn't happened i'd probably rank otani uh somewhere around like not ninth or tenth between like him and juan soto uh but i end up ranking him 11th he's in this tier that goes down through number 13 um, if you don't want him as one of your top 13 hitters, you're more or less saying that you're not drafting him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably me. I'm probably not drafting him this season, but we'll see, you know. Um, yeah, and, and like, without this procedure, I'm with you. I mean, you got to 
project him without the surgery for 35 to 45 home runs. You know, last year he hit 44. That's what he keeps doing. 44 home runs in 135 games last year. So he probably would have hit well over 50, right? 50, 55, right? If he would have played that full season. So. I, I mean, who knows? Yeah. So what do you think about uh, – I, I really feel bad with the, the, for Mike Trout with all this stuff. I mean, you know, he, he's basically the sole survivor over uh, with the Angels at this stage. Yeah, basically what he was before they got Otani. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like the, only, the only good player there. Uh, it's an ugly lineup, man. Um, there's – it's interesting. You know, I think the A's are going to have an interesting lineup. Like several of these players are ranked, right? So I rank their number one hitter, two hitter, three hitter, four hitter, uh, and seven hitter. Mm-hmm. And nine hitter, right? Uh, I I did not rank Anthony Rendon. I did not rank Mickey Moniak. I did not rank Nolan Chanel. Uh, but I do rank everybody else uh, that's that's sort of projected to be in this lineup. And like they'll be scrappy. Like the the rotation is not good, right? And mm-hmm. this lineup isn't good, right? Like I, I'd probably stream against it here and there, but. But there's some sneaky power here. Brandon Drury was was a lot better, I think, than we expected. I think Luis Rangifo, the top of that lineup, is like a scrappy slap hitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach Nito, the the shortstop, he was hurt a couple times last season, but he's shown he can be you know a little bit of something. Uh, Taylor Ward continues to get hurt right when he starts looking good. Right, it's just this amazing talent he has to to just get hurt right when he starts uh, looking really good. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting one, but yeah, it, it's got to be tough for Trout. God, he seems so much older than 32. Uh, it seems like he's just been through the absolute ringer, but he is he is only 32 and a half or so. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to hit, you know, obviously he's still going to hit. He's probably going to hit like second. They just need his bat in the lineup as many times as possible to score runs. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's not going to be. Yeah, I'm I, honestly like the, the fact that Otani leaves isn't really what impacts Mike Trout's ranking though. Right. So everything about Mike Trout's ranking is about Mike Trout being healthy, about Mike Trout being Mike Trout. Right. Because when Mike Trout is the, you know, power, I mean, forget about the speed that's gone, but when he's that power hitting dynamic, like can hit for power, hit for average kind of thing, it doesn't really matter who's on his team. It impacts, you know, maybe his like top end projection in terms of runs and RBI, which are important, right? It's two categories, but it's also you know, like, he's going to get them. It's just like, will it make him, you know, is his upside a top 10 player at this point? Probably not. Right. Cause like the, all the guys in the top 10, like the only one who doesn't have a good team around him is like Bobby Witt jr. Uh, Bobby Wood Jr. has a terrible team around him and you have to, you sort of just like accept that. But, you know, if you look at all the, I mean, if you just look at like, you know, the well, players, well, the, well, the hitters well, the, going, the Royals have like, been spending first, a lot of money you know, this got, offseason. Uh, yeah, yeah, they are. But like, yeah. <laughs> I stand by my point. Like, they're not a good offense. Yeah, and, know, you know, know, otherwise, well, though, you know, He's it's just like it's pure talent, right? Like the next bad offense is like the Mets mm. with Lindor at like uh his ADP is the 21st hitter. That's the next time you really see a guy on like a bad offensive team. Oh, and maybe Jose Ramirez mm. in Cleveland at 12. Mm. 
So it affects the, like the upper end of your projection or like the upper end of your ranking, but like the, the 80th percent, you know, like 80% of the time, like you're just like, Oh, it's a, it's a minor factor for a guy like trout where there's other guys mm-hmm. whose value almost solely comes from the fact like a Jose Abreu only gets talked about because he hits in a good spot in a good lineup. He himself is like, if he was the one that was left behind in for the angels, like I just would not be interested at all. Right. Because mm. he's, he's supposed to just accumulate stats and, and you're not going to do that on a bad offense. But with, with trout, it's like, yeah, it'd be awesome if he was in a better lineup, but it doesn't really change that much for me in terms of like where I want to rank him. Cause it's all about whether Mike trout is injured. Right. Otherwise, yeah. you know, if yeah. he's you healthy, to, he's a great player. Right. You have to build in the fact that trout is probably going to miss, I don't know, 20 to 30 games a season because he has this chronic back issue that he's dealing with, right? Last season played 82 games, but had 18 home runs and 44 RBI. That's that's a 30, almost like a 35 home run uh, clip that, that, that he was on pace to yeah, hit. Yeah, and it was his worst season. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like if, if, you, if you stretch out, it's like one of his worst seasons in a while. Like the season he, he before, didn't slug 600. Right. And the season before he plays 119 games, has 40 home runs. So when he does play, he's going to play like the he's going to produce like the, the Mike Trout of old. He still is, except for the stolen bases, of course. Uh, and the batting average is kind of tailed off, too. But you're going to get your home runs and your RBI. But just the fact that, uh, you know, he's going to miss a, a, a portion of the season almost it's almost guaranteed at this stage. And it's sad because, like you said, he's going to be 32 years old yeah i mean if you're if you're project so like projection systems will always try to give him like a full season right but like in reality you should be saying like okay what you know if i'm using a projection system let's prorate that down to 120 or even 110 in terms of games played right like if you think he's getting more than you know if you can pull it back to like 500 plate appearances and see what his value looks like to you that to me is like, that's a better starting point. Mm-hmm. Now in shallower leagues, like three outfield leagues, the replacement level so high that you can like be really aggressive with the playing time projection because you can make up for the lost time. But if you're in like the NFBC, right, where it's 15 teams, five outfielders like that, that outfield production is really hard to make up when you lose it. Like the, the replacement mm-hmm. level is so much lower. So oh, that yes. actually makes yeah. it harder I, yeah. to take trout. Whereas in these, yeah, in these 12 teamers with three outfield, which is the new standard, like you can mm-hmm. push him up your board more simply because like, it's fine. You can, you can find outfielders at any given time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think this is a good spot for us to take a quick break. And when we get back with more uh, baseball to talk, I want to get your take on the uh, Juan Soto uh, trade and uh, also want to take a closer look at your top 200 uh, see uh, some players where you agree or disagree with nfbc adp uh, rankings at this stage there are drafts going on i think last i checked and there's probably more at this stage but the about 119 drafts going on in the nfbc but we'll talk about that right after this this bustling holiday season you might be looking for nutritious flavorful meals to fuel you on jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you eat well for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved 
ready-to-eat meals that are delivered straight to your door. You'll save time and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all your holiday to-dos. You know, I find it so hard to eat healthy this time of year, but with Factor, we can all treat ourselves to high-quality, delicious meals over the holidays. Choose from over 35 chef-crafted meals every week that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, whether it's calorie-smart, vegan and veggie, protein plus, and more wholesome options. With Factor, you can rest assured that you're making a sustainable choice. We offset 100% of our delivery emissions and source 100% renewable electricity for our production sites and offices. This December, get Factor and enjoy eating well without hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh flavor-packed meals delivered to your door, ready in two minutes, no prep and no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash HNJ50 and use code HNJ50 to get 50% off. That's code HNJ50 at factormeals.com slash HNJ50 to get 50% off. All right, we're back. Hacks and Jacks, the Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Joe Galena, Scott Chu, back talking baseball with you. And uh, I, I, Juan Soto's one of you guys, isn't he? I mean, in doing shows with you over the past few seasons, he has been one of your guys, no? I mean, are there people that don't like Juan Soto? Uh, like with, with Juan Soto. So we have this awesome metric. If you, if you use our PLV stats, we've got one, maybe my favorite, like, you know, I, I try to caution people not to over-rely on it, but we have this one called decision value, right? Mm -hmm. Like who makes good swing decisions. And the way we calibrated that, uh, to some extent, just talking to, to Kyle Bland, who we'll hopefully have on the show at some point someday. Uh, but like if Juan Soto is, always showing as like one of the best in decision value, then you've probably done something right in how you created it. Right. Like very few players, like we used to talk about, it's like Joey Votto, right? Like mm. Juan Soto has picked up that mantle. He is like the, the like decision making King right now, uh, just consistently, right? Like you cannot, you will not get Juan Soto out consistently trying to get him to swing at bad pitches. Mm -hmm. You have to throw this guy strikes because if you don't, he'll just walk. Yes. Even when he slumps and he batted 242 in his first 113 games with the Padres. So uh, even when he slumps, he's got that OBP of, you know, close to 400 or over 400. So you're 100% right. And in that Yankee lineup, especially if he bats in front of Aaron judge. <laughs> oh my God. He's going to get some, some pitches to hit or, you know, I mean, he's just going to find his way to get on base. I, I, you know, you, you say who doesn't like Juan Soto. I mean, I don't dislike him, especially now since he's a New York Yankee, but uh, I, I am a little concerned uh, with, you know, this is his third team in three seasons and he didn't adjust. Well, did not adjust well when he was traded to the Padres. Like I said, um, in his first 113 games, batted 242. Uh, when he first got traded there from August to October, uh, he batted 236 with a 390 slug. Uh, and then he started off last season uh, very poorly. And then, man, did he finish. He finished like the Juan Soto of old in his last 101 games, batted 290 with a 960 OPS. 
25 home runs. But, um, you know, I mean, I think there's some things to consider when you're talking about Juan Soto. And like I said, third team in three years, does the pressure of being a free agent get to him? You know, uh, does he look at that that short porch in right field and, and try to change his, his approach where he's, you know, going to be, you know, swinging for the fences all the time and to his detriment, right? Uh, and, and don't get me, you know, I know Yankee fans, and it's been a tough haul for Yankee fans the past couple of years. And if Juan Soto is batting 245 with 12 home runs and the Yanks are two games on the 500, uh, like in early June, uh, Yankee fans will not be too kind to him. Fair. I, you know, one thing I'll say about uh, struggling to adapt with the Padres, he wasn't the only hitter that went over there that didn't hit, you know, that didn't hit the ground running. So that same year, I believe they had traded for uh, Josh Bell, who mm-hmm. had been hitting well, gets to San Diego and just stops right. hitting well. Then he went to the mall right? like and teed the, off. Yeah. Good yeah, point. so it's it's been weird. You know, the Padres have had some weird issues with like slumping players taking long times to get out of it. I mean, Manny Machado has had this issue, uh, especially since becoming a Padre, where he has these long slumps. And I'm not sure, you know, I, I don't know enough about their coaching staff to say like how they help players get through that, but it ain't quick, mm-hmm. right? Like they don't they don't bounce back the fastest. So I will I will say if there is a player who I think is going to make the right decisions in the box Mm -hmm. in this league on any given day. It's Juan Soto Mm -hmm. every time. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, you know, he's coming off his, his actually high. He actually outdid himself from the 2019 rabbit ball. He he outdoes himself. He does 35 home runs last season. Um, You know, if like, you know, if he plays all the games, which he pretty much always has, Mm -hmm. right. He's, he's been healthy ever since he's absolutely. Yes. this, I mean, 35 is his previous record, and and I think most projections are going to get closer to 40. Like, they're mm-hmm. going to project this guy to have a career high in home runs, uh, even though he's not like he's not like a crazy pull hitter or anything like that, because he doesn't need to be. Like, it's just going to be stuff that gets to leave the yard now, right? Like, he doesn't mm-hmm. have to change anything to hit more home runs. He doesn't have to change anything to be a really good hitter in New York. And, you know, for the Yankees, it really works out because they were putting a lot of pressure in terms of like left-handedness in that lineup. There was a lot of pressure on Anthony Rizzo who started really well for the Yankees last season and then totally falls off. Just never really recovers from some issues that he had. But, you know, I think Soto just gives them this perfect presence in the middle of that lineup. He had that concussion. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think Soto, he's going to be in a situation where he's surrounded by um, I think a lot of veterans who have been there, who have done that, who know, right? Like he's not even necessarily the biggest star on this team, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's Aaron judge. Right. So I think, I think he is in a really good situation. Um, I mean, he's a young guy. He just finished his age 24 season. Mm -hmm. He's, he's extremely young, but I think it's going to be good to have like a mix of veterans around him uh, in a situation where, Again, New York can be tough, but you know, the they're building a team, you know, it's not like Soto came in to just, you know, this team should have been better without Soto. Mm-hmm. Right? Like this team, a healthy Aaron Judge makes this team better. Adding Soto, I think it's going to be 
and it's not in the middle of the season either. Uh, he gets, you know, he's going to have that off season and that spring training with his new team. I think it's going to be a really good move for him. I think all the points you make are valid. I'm just not worried about it. Yeah, no, I hear you. And, and look, um, the Yankees would have been better if Aaron judge hadn't missed, you know, significant time because of that toe uh, injury that he had. But, you know, I take a look at box scores and I, I read, especially the Yankees box scores every day. Last season you had, you know, anywhere from like six to seven, players in the lineup the Yankee lineup every day that were batting 210 or even lower <laughs> so um but but don't get me wrong I mean having Juan Soto in there definitely will help uh you know it, just from a real break baseball perspective too having Alex Verdugo there as well plays some good defense I'm gonna take this like a, in a different direction too you know Juan Soto is gonna play right field and now that means that Aaron Judge is going to move to center field. Now, Aaron Judge was a very, very good right fielder, and he plays a very good center field, but he's a big man. And having to play 162 games as the Yankees' center fielder, covering a lot more ground, you know, that could be a little bit of a, of a detriment to uh, Aaron Judge. I mean, uh, maybe I'm looking too too deep into this, but. Weird position to put a guy you're trying to keep healthy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like weird, like that's not really where you put guys back. Like, oh, just go play center field, take a load off. <laughs> like that's not how center field works. Right. Uh, even when you're six, seven or whatever, like it's right. just, it's a very, it's a demanding physical position. So mm-hmm. I do wonder if they're going to kind of mix it around a little bit. And I, I don't really think Soto or Verdugo uh, can really play much center field, but uh, yeah. I, I wonder I, I wonder how exactly they'd make that work because they did also acquire Trent Grisham who can play center field. Yes. Right. Yes. But like at what cost, right? It's like, is that, does that end up looking sort of like a weird platoon with Giancarlo Stanton? I mean, well, right? Grisham, so- Grisham could play center field uh, in, let's say the sixth, seventh, eighth, you know, late in the game as a defensive replacement. And you take out, Stanton from the uh, DH role and put Judge as your DH, maybe? Because you don't want to take... Yeah, <laughs> or, or even just platoon him, right? Because it's not as though Giancarlo Stanton has been like this especially good hitter. Like, he still hits home runs. He does nothing else. Right. Uh, and that skill set is fading fast mm-hmm. as he goes into his age 34 season. So I could maybe see that happening. Again, it's way too early to truly speculate, but I think if they wanted that defense and they wanted to keep Aaron Judge fresher... Mm-hmm. I think that's why they went and got Trent Grisham. Am I overthinking it? Or is that something that you would say, let's say come draft season, you know, uh, maybe judge is going to be playing center field all year. Do I think that, you know, by, by August and September, he might be a little, you know, you know, worn from, you know, he might not, I mean, he's still going to hit his 35 home runs or whatnot, but do, do you think that that's something that you would take into consideration? Uh not that much no. just because like durability issues for judge. I mean, so judge actually played some significant center field in 2022. He played some of it last yeah, season yeah, no, he, and he uh, played he, a good center field. Played, yeah. He's, I mean, he's not bad mm-hmm. and you know, I'm not too worried about that because at his age, like judges issue is just straight up being able to play right. Like the, if, if he's getting worn down, like the Yankees are going to give him the time. Right. Like, I think he knows he knows how to manage it. He, you know, he had just, he, you know, he was coming off back to back healthy seasons. Yes. Right. Uh, in 2021, 2022, I think he will he will manage it 
and it shouldn't impact his play too much. I worry about that specific thing. This like getting wore down. I actually worry about that more with young players coming into their first seasons. I know it's something I talked about a little bit with Corbin Carroll last season, uh, which could explain some of his downturn towards the end, but that's just because he hadn't like young guys tend to play as hard as they can. Right. On a team that's like really grinding for the playoffs, for example, in, in Arizona's case, and he's coming off a bunch of seasons where he did not play 162 games, right? They don't do that in the minor leagues. So right. that is more difficult when it's something you've never really done before. And now you're doing it, but a player like judge who has, you know, three different times played a hundred, you know, almost 150 games or more. Um, I think he knows how to manage that part of it. Cause you can get tired playing any position. Right. So right. I think he knows how to manage that piece of it. And because he's a veteran, I'm less concerned about his ability to manage his body for that. Uh, except for, like, so I'm really just worried about actual injury, like an right. actual, you know, hitting a wall or, you know, like straining out to make a, to make a play and maybe tweaking a hamstring or you know something like it. That's mm-hmm. a lot more worrisome to me than just like the regular wear and tear of playing center field. Right. And also you know, in thinking now um, from what you said, the Yankees have been pretty good at reading when he needs a rest. Like, you know, there were times when, you know, he was out of the lineup and it might not have even been last season, but the season prior for like a day or two. And, you know, Boone, who gets a lot of grief, the Yankee manager, Aaron Boone, kind of knew that he needed this little this little rest. So the Yankees have been better with that. So, all right, so you bring up a good point. And you also bring up a good point about certain players fading down the line just because they're not used to playing uh, that many games. And, you know, who came to mind was um, Yoshida, Masataka Yoshida from the outfielder from the Red Sox. He kind of faded a little bit um, as the season wore on. And I think – he came from Japan and in Japan, I don't think they play as many games. Right. So that's something to take into consideration too. Um, but we'll see, but uh, talk about another outfielder here that got signed recently. Uh, young who Lee, uh, Korean, uh, outfielder. Um, and, uh, he signed with the, the giants, pretty big money, a little over 18 million per, um, for six years. Uh, and 18.8 million, by the way. So he's a guy that I really wanted the Yanks to get because this guy's played a lot of center field throughout his career. Mm, you know, some some power, but you know, that's not what you're getting him for. You're getting him for the guy has a 340 lifetime batting average, just 24 years old, uh, 407 OBP. Uh, so I think he's going to be a, a nice addition to the top of, of any lineup in the big leagues, but a, a nice signing by the Giants. They might have overpaid, but, you know, uh, I, I guess they lost out on getting signed and judged last year. They lost out another um, free agent, so I, I guess they needed to overpay a little bit. But I, I like this guy, Jung Hu Lee. What do you think? Yeah, so the Giants love these guys with, like, medium power, mm-hmm. right? Like, their their lineup is, like, two types of players. They have these guys with like medium power who are really contact oriented. And then they have like, just try to hit home runs sort of guys uh, like JD Davis. That would be like JD Davis. Uh, Yastrzemski is a power guy, Michael Conforto power guy. But then, you know, they have, they, they now have Jung Hu Lee. They had Tyro Estrada. They have Lamont Wade jr. Like these like very slap hitter sort of guys. And that's what mm-hmm. Lee is. Lee is a slap hitter through and through, um, you know, the, 
there's lots of comparisons for guys that sort of come over from Japan uh, or not just Japan or Korea, but this one really Korea. So uh, Haseon Kim is an easy one to do, even though I'm not sure he's exactly the same sort of player. I think with Lee, you know, I talked about this on bench with Bubba recently and you know, other folks have talked about it too. The biggest thing with Lee is going to be, can he adapt to major league fastballs? So in Korea, Mm -hmm. especially it's very much a junk ball league, right? Like guys like Merrill Kelly go over there and and work on breaking balls and all this stuff uh, and, and try to fool hitters who love hitting off speed garbage, right? Like they, that's just the way it is in Korea. You know, I got to watch them. K- I watched a lot of KBO during, uh, you know, when we were waiting for the 2020 season to start. And that's what it, it was a bunch of junk balls that these guys would just slap around, mm-hmm. right? Like a lot of small ball, a lot of slap it around. And that's what Lee can do. The, the power is going to be limited, but the, the top end fastballs in the KBO, you know, there's like, there's like five guys in the whole league that can throw 95, right? Like they, they just don't throw heat in that league. It's just not the way that league operates. So being able to adjust to that can take time, right? You might even see it as a full season. I think he's going to be a good hitter for average right off the bat. I don't really think we see the full potential of Lee maybe until the second or third year. Although what I'll be watching for in spring training, again, he'll get to see the velocity in spring training. How does he handle it? Hmm. Can he, is he just trying to survive against it or is he driving it with authority? Cause it's one thing to see it off of like the, you know, off of like a pitching machine. It's another for a guy to be able to mix in, right? Like knowing you have to be ready for eight, you know, he, he's used to being ready for like 75 and then 85 right now. He's got to be used to 85 and then 95, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When the guy's going like fastball changeup. So that's a big difference. Like that there's, there's a reason that, MLB GMs love velocity and it's because we know that every mile an hour above 95 is a lot of effectiveness, right? When you can throw 96, 97, 98 for strikes, like, and that's every guy coming in the back of the bullpen, right? Mm -hmm. Like every team has a guy that touches a hundred now, right? So that'll be the real key for Lee. I think, um, he's, his values primarily going to be in points leagues. Again, this is a guy who is Mm -hmm. not, it's, you know, if I have to comp him to somebody, it's going to be more like uh, an American player, like like a Jeff McNeil. I think Jeff McNeil, uh, Luis Arias type guys, those are what Lee wants to be. And, and I say Jeff McNeil because like Luis Arias is the pinnacle version of Luis Arias, right? Like this batting title winning, no home run, no stolen base kind of guy. And Jeff McNeil's like the like the 80% version of that. Right. Like Mm -hmm. Jeff McNeil's the one you get at five below. That's kind of like that. Uh, (laughs) But but, like, it's still good. It's just not Mm -hmm. like the, the genuine article. Um, It, you know, it's the generic brand, but that that's what I think Jung Hooli can be right off the bat. Right. And maybe there's more to it, but I think that's what Um, you're looking for. This high average and anything, you know, and some runs, but everything else. Right. Okay. Would you compare him to Yoshida in terms of the type of production he would bring? No, because Yoshida has more power. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yoshida's definitely got more power than Lee. So it'd be that that's why I'm using like a McNeil type. Like I think in terms of like being able to okay. make contact. Yes. But Yoshida does bring more power brings and a little bit more aggression. I think than you'll see. Well, Lee is an aggressive hitter, but in a just put it in play sort of way. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And I, I would suppose that a guy like, uh, say, a Suzuki uh, probably has more power as well and probably wouldn't hit for as high average as him. Right. Yeah. Like, honestly, you know, I, I wonder if his own teammate is a better. Oh, no, because Lamont Wade Jr. probably has more power than he does, too. And he's not quite as good at contact. But but you're talking like 10 home runs. Right. Right. 15. I think if he really gets a groove against fastballs. OK. All right. So this would be a good spot for us to take our second break. Then we'll take a closer look at your top 200 and uh, some players that you had wanted to talk about in terms of where you differ on the current NFBC ADP. Talk maybe a little Trey Turner, CJ Abrams, maybe even some Christian and Carcion Strand. We'll talk about them right after this. All right, we're back. Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. Joe Galina, Scott Chu, off-season edition. And uh, Scott, uh, you alluded to your top 200 article um, that you could find on the Pitcher List website. Then you do the hitter list all season long. And uh, there were some players. We had planned on doing this uh, episode a couple weeks ago. Right. And uh, we had some technical difficulties, but uh, there, there were some players that you had pointed out where you were, uh, you know, pretty significantly different than the ADP that uh, NFBC leagues uh, have right now. And like I said, last I checked, there were about 119 drafts going on. So uh, one of the guys was uh, a Trey Turner. Uh, he has a ADP. I checked today. Again, we're recording this on December 17th. 2023 it's about 9 22 p.m right now just give you a reference point um and his adp uh, right now in nfbc leagues is a 10 so uh, you know if you believe that his hot finish to last season is legit and based on his career numbers and the fact that he's just 30 years old you might say why wouldn't i believe in that adp but i, I think you uh you, you're kind of a little bit uh higher right than, than nfbc so I am, I am, uh, I am much colder That's yeah. on Trey Turner right. yeah. than the NFBC. I mean, part of that is the NFBC just pushing up steals, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're going to be extra aggressive on a guy like Turner, but I, I couldn't help noticing. And if you read my article, like you, you might've noticed this point, 40% of his counting stats come in a span of 34 games. Mm-hmm. 34 games, 40% of his stats. The rest of the season, he was bad. Like, objectively, for fantasy purposes, he was bad. Yes. Right? His first, you know, his first chunk of games, bad, right? Like, he was famous uh, in 108 games prior to that hot streak, which was from August 5th to September 12th. And the 108 games prior to that, he was hitting 236, 289, 367 with 10 home runs. Right in the 14 games after the hot streak, uh, he went back to being bad, right? He hit 222, 300, 296, right? Like 122 games of awful performance, right? Like that, like that's really worrisome, right? Because, like, what if what if the hot streak doesn't happen or doesn't burn quite as hot, right? Like I mean, yes, he's a superstar player. He is capable of doing this, but asking guys to do this again and again uh, can be very difficult. We actually just saw Bo Bichette 
come off in 2022 who really boosted his numbers from a very similar streak, right? Just was on fire. And Bobichet had a fine season last season, but he didn't put up the superstar numbers because the hot streaks just never got as high, mm-hmm. right? Like this is, you're asking a guy to be that good uh, to make up for a lot of bad is worrisome, right? And it's not as though he fixed it and never went bad again, right? Like it, it does fall off very, very hard over the last few weeks of the season. So with Trey Turner, it's just, I feel like right now the NFBC is just ignoring risk. Mm. They're thinking he fixed it. It's done. Right. But when you look at those rolling charts, which you know, I did Joe, I know uh, when you look at those rolling charts, you see a big spike and then it comes right back down hard. And Mm -hmm. usually when I see that it's a problem, right? Right. Like, Some guys can do this regularly. Kyle Schwarber can do this regularly. Trey Turner is not that kind of player. So I'm not saying he can't be really good. It's just I've ranked him 16th uh, among hitters, which generally means I'm not going to be drafting him Mm -hmm. uh, because someone's going to be higher uh, than me on him. But, you know, I, I am very concerned about a player who gets so much performance from such a small part of the season. Yeah. It was one month. Really, it was like just over one month that he was a superstar. And the rest of the season, he was below replacement level. If you're in a weekly uh, category leagues, Trey Turner was absolutely dragging you down for most of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a- Except for this one chunk, which may not have mattered to you anymore. Right. It was a weird season, like you said, for him, right? Batted 229 versus lefties, 282 versus righties. And that was so odd because throughout his career, you know, he had a very balanced uh, batting averages against the lefties and righties, 295 versus righties, 301 versus lefties for his career. But for some reason... Lefties really gave him a, a, a problem last season. And something that you had talked about last season, uh, you were looking at zone contact, right? And his zone contact had been in the high 80 range earlier in his career, like 88 or so. Uh, past couple of se- seasons, it's trailed off a bit, right? 85.9 with the Dodgers two seasons ago and 84.6 with the Phillies. So, they, you know... Um, you have, uh, I think you might have hit upon something there with when it comes to uh, Trey Turner. Another weird thing was that when he was like at his lowest, like he was slumping so bad. You know, Philly fans have a reputation of being really tough on players. For some reason, they just like you know rallied behind him, gave him like a standing ovation, and then from there on in, uh, I know he had his ups and downs uh, as the season wore on, but he you know he had more ups than downs after the fans kind of got behind him. But anyway, uh, let's talk yeah, about very, CJ. I mean, it was really weird. Yeah, it was a weird season for him. Yeah, so uh, uh, the one thing I'll say, the other thing is, uh, and someone asked me about it on X, Twitter, whatever, uh, wondering if that he was, if Trey Turner was pressing, right? And it's hard to measure pressing exactly. Right. Right, but, but one way to do it is using O-Swing. And so I did take a look at his rolling at Trey Turner's rolling O swing. And and you'll notice that it, his O swing drops somewhat significantly as at the start of this hot streak, right? Thinking like, Oh, it went back to normal, but it wasn't at all back to normal. His uh, Trey Turner's O swing has been trending up and up and up and up uh, pretty consistently over really since 2018. Mm -hmm. We've seen it just keep moving up and up and up. Uh, it got especially bad uh, in 2022, and it was just as bad in 2023. And even when he recovers, right, his his best O swing rates 
uh, rolling O-swing rates in 2023 were about as good as his worst O-swing rates in 2021, mm-hmm. right? Like basically the the best, you know, the best version of Trey Turner in 2023 in terms of, you know, avoiding pitches outside the zone, the best version of him in 2023 was equal to the worst version of him in 2021. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're, it's a very disturbing trend for a player with this contact heavy skill set to just continue to to chase and chase and chase because there's just there's not a lot of paths to success for him chasing that way because it's not game breaking power. He can't just hit anything into the stands. Uh, he, he can't keep chasing like that to be a strong player. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to C.J. Abrams shortstop for the Nationals. Um, I think he was involved in that trade that sent Soto to the Padres because Abrams was one of the uh, uh, stars of the uh, form system for the Padres. So um, his ADP is 37 at this stage. Took him a while to come around last season, uh, but overall at the end of the season um, put up some, some nice numbers. I mean, I guess maybe you call him a compiler maybe. He also had some issues hitting lefty. So I'm wondering if he might have, um, some platoon uh, in his future because he batted 166 against lefties last season. But overall, 18 home runs, 47 stolen bases, 245 batting average, 83 runs score. And uh, the I guess in his something to be optimistic about, had a little over a 5% drop in his uh, O swings. Well, that's a pretty good sign. But what's your take on Abrams compared to NFBC? So I'm lower on Abrams than the NFBC. And the, the main reason for that, I actually like CJ Abrams. I think the main reason for that is my rankings are geared towards head to head category leagues where stolen bases don't matter quite as much. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of paths to uh, just basically punting stolen bases either overall or even on a week to week basis uh, there. It's a lot more, you know, volatile on stolen bases because you don't always get them consistently week to week. So it's not quite as valuable as it is in Roto where every stolen base matters. But with Abrams, I think the one thing that's really weird is he only had nine stolen bases through the end of June, right? So from the beginning of the season to June 30th, he had nine steals. Then he steals 16 bases in July. He starts leading off in July, steals 16 bases, then 13 in August, nine more in September, right? I mean, just, absolutely like at some point the nationals just decided like oh yeah I, I guess this guy is fast let's give him a green light right like part of that's being towards the top of the lineup the other part is a little bit of just making better contact so uh our contact ability metric on you know with plv which uh is free until the sunday after the super bowl um or the sorry the tuesday after sunday the tuesday after the super bowl when we launched a new version of the pitcher's website until then you can get our our plv metrics for free our contactability metric which measures how much better a guy is at making contact based on the pitch that he, the pitches that he swings at uh, which is different than like the fangraphs contact percent cuz that's just raw how many times does he hit the ball when he swings ours is how many times like how is he versus the average right and CJ Abrams is one of the best hitters in the league on that metric of in terms of contact. The guy can put his bat on everything, which is a problem for him because he swings at a lot of really bad pitches, right? It was good to see that. Oh, uh, that Oswing rate get better because he swings at everything. Mm-hmm. 
right? Now, so I, I do think Abrams can be, he's got the upside of maybe a 20 home run, 50 stolen base guy. That's a big deal, mm-hmm. right? Like he is, he is the much, much better version of Asturi Ruiz. Uh, but he's got to, he's got to continue to make strides against, uh, picking the right pitches. He's got to make better decisions. He doesn't need to make good decisions, right? His bat to ball skill is incredible. He does not need to be Juan Soto in terms of like, I only swing at good strikes. He doesn't need to be that, but he needs to avoid the garbage balls. I'm pretty sure when I've looked into it a little bit, this is his problem against lefties is that he puts a, he puts a bunch of crap in play, right? A bunch of pitches that he can't do anything with. He swings at him anyway. He's really good at hitting the ball, but there's nowhere like, you know, the, the ball's like going to hit him in the knee. So what does he do? He just rolls it to, you know, like the first baseman and then he's out, mm-hmm. right? Like he, he can't do anything with it. So uh, he needs to continue to improve his decision-making in that sense, which is like, just get, you know, like shrink your zone a little bit, bud. <laughs> like just, just bring it down a little, you, just because you can't hit it doesn't mean you should. You're also not Luis Arias, right? Like that's not really your play style either. So uh, just, you know, be a little bit more selective. I think he can, he can make a long way if he can, if he leads off for the nationals, which he should, right? He's the best candidate to do this. This is a, a player I really, really like, but watch out for that NFBC ADP. If you're in a 12 team league, because they're going to push up the fact that he is an outfielder in a five outfield, 15 team format, and that he steals bases in a roto format, mm-hmm. right? It's the two things that really pushes value up. So the reason I wanted to bring up CJ Abrams isn't because I don't like him, but it's because he's exactly the kind of player the NFBC wants and exactly the kind of player that you push down your board a little bit in head to head categories. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, let's move on to Christian and Carcion Strand, who looks like going forward uh, is going to be the Reds' first baseman now that uh, Joey Votto is no longer a Red. Um, ADP of 128 in NFBC leagues. Uh, I was stashing him in my Tout Wars league for a long time. Took a while for the uh, Reds to finally call him up last season, and he got off to a mediocre start. But uh, as the season wore on, he did get better and uh, finished the season with 13 home runs, 37 RBI, and a 270 batting average in 63 games. And if if you care about it, 162 game average, uh, he, uh, the, what he did in 63 games uh, equates to 33 home runs and 95 RBI. So uh, what do you think about uh, in terms of uh, Incarcion Strand compared to what NFBC thinks? Yeah, Incarcion Strand has so much power. Our power metric, our PLV power metric really brings this out. This dude, when he makes contact, he hits it really hard. Uh, he, he adds bases just from the power, right? Because he hits something much harder than the average player in the league can hit it. Right. Like you can get that from exit velocity and all that, but like he actually, his is, it's a very much a a game power. You can have raw power without having game power. Yandy Diaz has raw power, right? But it doesn't always turn into game power because he buries the ball on the ground all the time. Yeah. And with Encarnacion Strand, he's, he's got game power. He really drives the ball where it needs to go. The biggest thing for him again is just decision-making, right? So he, he does not always make the best decisions. And it's not even be like a lot of times you'd think bad decisions means lots of strikeouts, but that's not really the case for him. It's bad decisions in terms of putting balls in play that he probably should have left alone. Maybe taking some pitches. He should have done something with his is more of a mix of just like being a rookie, right? Like he's got rookie decision-making. So 
the one nice thing about decision making. So when I see players uh, and I'm looking at them and I think our PLV metrics are awesome for young players and evaluating young players and with Encarnacion Strand, I, what I love seeing is that the thing he needs to work on is the one that you can work on in the off season, right? So, uh, I, it's really hard for me to say like all, yeah, all CJ Abrams has to do is be stronger, right? Like that, that doesn't work that way, mm-hmm. right? Like power is very much like a, a difficult skill. You know, you can talk about getting the ball in the air maybe more, but otherwise like it's hard to get stronger that way, especially in a meaningful way. You're not going to see these guys, uh, unless, you know, they're using some sort of substance go from like an, you know, being a bottom 10 percentile exit velocity to a top 10 percentile exit velocity. You're just not going to see that, right? Because they just don't have that kind of power. They don't have that kind of swing. They don't have that kind of build. But with decision-making, it's different. You can straight up practice that. You can get better at it, right? You can get much better at it. There's a lot of tools available in terms of coaching, in terms of uh, technology that they have to, to have players. You know, I know that, you know, there's teams that have these goggles they have guys wear and they watch it just shows them pitches, shows them pitches. And they learn to pick up on spin. They learn to pick up on release. They learn to pick up on things to be like, is this a strike or not a strike? And it's almost like a game. Like they have little buttons that they can push to be like strike, not strike, you know, swing, don't swing, swing, don't swing. And, and it will sort of grade them on it. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they know where the pitch was supposed to go. So I love that Christian Encarnacion strand just needs to work on the decision-making piece that is doable. Mm -hmm. Right. And again, he doesn't need to be, you know, I'll keep saying this until I die. He doesn't need to be Juan Soto. He just needs to be decent at it. Just like his teammate, Ellie De La Cruz. Ellie De La Cruz has everything except decision-making, right? He's actually mm-hmm. good at making contact, right? He just swings at stuff that bounces, which, which is, you know, he's never going to do anything with. So, you know, they've got two young guys. Hopefully they can get them to work on just, just make better decisions. I'm not asking you to hit the ball harder. I'm not asking you to change your launch angle. I'm not asking you to do any of that. I'm just asking you to swing at different times. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. That's all you're asking. Them. And it, you know, when I want players to grow, I want them, I want it to be things that they can control. And like, yes, you can go to the gym and work out every day and get big and strong, but like, that's hard to do. It changes your body. It, it's difficult to get stronger. It's difficult to gain contact ability. Cause that's very much hand eye coordination, Right. Um, but you can make better decisions. Like that mm-hmm. is just something you can learn to do. So I love that he's got a learnable skill to be the thing that he has to do. Uh, and I've pushed him up my boards because like, again, he's got raw power. You can't teach. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I think we have time maybe for one more and I'm going to pick this guy from the list that you had given me a, a couple weeks ago because I like the fact that he's just being drafted all over the place, but Edward Julian, twin second baseman, yes. right? All right, ADP of two ten in NFBC, and you take a look at his minimum and maximum picks. He goes as high as pick one twenty six to as you know, to, well, I should say as low as one twenty six to as high as three thirty. That's in a twelve team league, and I know that most NFBC, I think some some are twelve, some are fifteen. But that would mean that he's some people draft him in the eleventh round, and some people draft him in the twenty eighth round. So hundred nine games last season, sixteen home runs, thirty seven RBI. I love the three eighty one OBP. Um, and uh, had a, a fine minor league career, 285, 437, 487 minor league career, triple slash. Um, had some speed uh, in his minor league career, 
didn't translate yet into the bigs, but should be coming. But uh, batted either first or second for most of the season. So I'm kind of surprised that he only had three stolen bases in those 109 games. But uh, it's pretty interesting, the min-max, right, in, in terms of picks when it comes to Julianne. Yeah, and actually uh, his his rank among hitters in terms of ADP has gone down, right? So in December, he's the 130th. Mm-hmm. Uh, hitter off the board. I rank him 99th and I just talked about decision value. I'm so glad you, I didn't know who you were going to pick. But then I remembered that you talked about Julianne when he came over, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Like when he got called up right? right. and it took Julianne a little while, I think to really understand when to swing because he could spit on so many breaking balls in the minor leagues and have it not hurt him. Right. So he had to learn how to adjust to that. But Julianne is already one of, if not the best decision makers in the league. He, you know, by our metrics, the dude is just outstanding. And part of that is because he is extremely patient. But the other part of that is just like that that's his game, mm-hmm. right? Like the that's what Julianne is trying to do. So uh I actually just realized I moved him down on my rankings a little bit. He was he ended up being 115, but I mean, this dude, so he starts the season off as a, as a mediocre, not mediocre, an average decision maker. And just, it good. It goes straight up. Like it just, it it only moves up his rolling chart, mm-hmm. right? Like in terms of decision value and the dude can punish fastballs. He He's not a huge power guy, but he showed consistently that he can, you know, he finishes in like the top, like definitely inside the top 75th percentile in the league in fat, like power against fastballs. So when you're that good at making decisions, it means you can pick your pitches, right? Like that's exactly what he does. He picks his pitches. He can hit fastballs really, really hard. I think he's a perfect candidate to lead off for the twins. I think he could be like a 20 home run or more 90 run scoring guy with excellent ratios because the way he makes decisions only 24 years old. I think, you know, he, he did struggle against, breaking balls and off-speed pitches. And, and I talked about that just a second ago, and, and he he still needs to adapt to those a little bit. But by adapting, it's not that they're fooling him as much as, like, he's swinging at the right ones. He's just not quite connecting, which is a problem, right? Uh, lots of guys have a hard time hitting sliders and change-ups and things like that. But because he's so good against the fastball and he's so good at recognizing what he should swing at and what he won't swing at, I think there's a lot of ceiling here with, with Julianne. Um, I, I think he's getting really overlooked because the projection, you know, steamer just doesn't respect Julianne. I don't know what it is. They were not big fans, uh, probably because the high strikeout rate early on, which he fixes as he plays more. This is the leadoff guy for the twins. He's the, mm-hmm. again, he's just the best candidate. He can do so much in that spot. Uh, I will be drafting him a lot, especially if I don't grab like an elite second baseman towards the top of the draft. Like if I wasn't really in a place to get an Ozzy Albies or, or a Jose Altuve, um, Julian is the one, if I, the moment I decide I'm waiting on second base, it's because I want Julian. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like you said, he probably is the twins leadoff hitter of the future batted, uh, first or second for them for most of the season and, and was highly effective. And like you mentioned, decent power, 16 home runs in 109 games and uh 381 OBP. That's the kind of numbers that you like to see and guys that are at the top of your lineup. So, um, so uh, Scott, we got the rust out, right? This is our first episode in a long time. It was really great. 
to talk baseball with you once again. And, uh, you know, just love this this time of year, the hot stove going on, trades and, uh, you know, a free agent signing. So uh, we'll be back probably. I, I, I don't know if they release a schedule yet, but um, I think we're on like a biweekly schedule, Scott, right? We sure are. That gives me plenty of time to find some rolling charts for us to talk about in yeah. two weeks' time. Absolutely, absolutely. There are more players that uh, in you... our very visual medium here. <laughs> yeah. This very, you know, everyone can obviously see what I'm talking about, but I'm going to talk about them anyway. I don't well, I've got a face for radio, so you know it's it's better off this way. <laughs> but uh, but good stuff. So, uh, like I said, we recorded this on uh, December seventeenth. Um, I know Hanukkah, I think, passed, so hopefully you had a good Hanukkah. Uh, if you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. If you celebrate uh, Kwanzaa, Happy Kwanzaa to you. Just happy everything to you. Happy New Year. Happy everything. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And as always, uh, we always like to say that we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>